1966, the Chicago Bears drafted the son of a Pennsylvania coal miner in the fourth round. Doug Buffon would go on to play 15 seasons for the Bears and later be named one of the 100 greatest Bears of all time. His allegiance to the Bears never waned, even when he took to the microphone and witnessed some horrendous Bears teams. The fact is, there's not the fear put into him because this game is a lot about fear. You either do the job or you go home and go sell hamburgers at McDonald's. Doug told it like it is, and that's part of the reason his nephew John has dedicated this show to Doug. And now John Buffone is spreading Buffone branded beratements just like his uncle. Win the football game. You're the head coach. I don't care what you have your fingers in. I don't care what you're meddling in. You're the head freaking coach. We get it. You're the most important guy on the staff. You don't have to keep trying to legitimize that. And he's got pep talks too. I love this team. And I know everyone watching and listening loves this team. So while we may be pessimistic and cynical, every one of us still has hope that the stars will align at some point. And if that ever does happen, you'll be glad you stuck around. John is telling it like it is here on Buffon 55. And joining John are Alyssa Barbieri, managing editor of USA Today's NFL Wires, including Bears Wire. And also Danny Shimon, lead game and draft analyst for the Barroom Network. Buckle up and bear down. This is Buffone 55, The John Buffone Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Buffone 55. It's a fast-paced approach at breaking down those lovable Chicago Bears. I am your host, John Buffone, and with me as always is my trusty producer and co-host, Alyssa Barbieri. Alyssa, we get to talk about something that we have not been able to talk about in two years. The Bears have won two games in a row. We are in uncharted water here. How are you doing tonight? uh john i don't know what's going on uh this is a very weird feeling uh something that has not happened since matt Nagy. matt even for this finally won back-to-back game so now i can't use that to rag on him anymore so but doing good the bears have won back-to-back games against nfc north opponents i mean and they're in the hunt. Oh, God. Yeah, they're in the hunt. <laughs> that that graphic that has 95% of the teams in the conference on it, they're, they, yes, they're, they're, they're on that one still. Uh, but, you, you, but you're right. Matt Eberflus is checking the boxes. He hadn't won a division game in his tenure. He does that. He wins back-to-back games, and it's against a division rival. So, you know, they're uh, – uh, 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 no, no, no. The resume is looking okay. He could be coming back. We'll get into, we'll get into, we'll, we'll get into that uh, later on. And we're going to break down the Bears next opponent the Cleveland Browns are a little banged up and they have some quarterback issues uh that they're dealing with but before we get into any of that Alyssa and just in case this is someone's first time watching or listening Buffon 55 by the way where you've been we've been doing this for seven years but just in case this is your first time uh checking out the show can you let them know how this show works 
Of course. So we will begin with the classic B-55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions about the Bears, and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffon, his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. Then we're going to bring on Danny Shimon for a free-for-all that we call Buffon's basement for the three of us break down this last win the second in a row and then look ahead to the bears next matchup with the cleveland browns with a little help from our friend aldo gandia who has a full report on the physical afc north team so john the bears are starting to build momentum are you doing the same uh about as much momentum as possible for something like this but yeah sure we're we're rolling we got momentum let's go we're in the hunt (laughs) let's do this it is time for our b55 segment that's what i'm gonna ask john five questions and he somehow keeps his responses within 55 seconds so let's go ahead and get it started so unlike their first matchup with the lions the bears kept their foot on the gas and pulled out the surprising 28 to 13 win over the lions so john i need you to somehow summarize your thoughts on this game in 55 seconds it's going to be no easy task but that's why we do it go uh well i think like most bears fans i was being very guarded and cautious before i got too excited once again they were up uh 12 points late in the game and like most of the year we're waiting for the big mistake we're waiting for the other shoe to drop and it never happened the offense moved the ball and scored touchdowns and the defense was flying all over the place uh it was just nice to watch a football game in which my favorite team did things right and beat a team that they were not supposed to beat. It was really great because we actually saw two narratives shift immediately after the game. All of a sudden, the Bears are turning the corner. They're showing fight. They're not the worst team in the league. And the Lions are getting called frauds by anyone with a Twitter Twitter account right now. So obviously, Detroit, Detroit is likely going to the playoffs and the Bears are likely not. But it was just refreshing to not be the butt of the NFL joke for the last two weeks weeks all around it was a good Sunday for the Bears and it was a really good Sunday for Bears fans yeah like you said I was waiting for something bad to happen there is that moment uh, after the Bears blew their 10-0 lead and I'm like oh no we've seen this before it's happening a little quicker than the fourth quarter the last five minutes this time but they were able to pull it off and like you said I think that this win it felt like a statement where it's hard to it's it's hard to imagine how the Bears started the season and where they are now. I know what their record says, but over these last uh, few games, they're what five and four. Uh, I think we can agree they probably should be seven and six at this point if they don't blow those two games. So it's just it was one of those wins where it kind of feels like not only is it safe, perhaps saving Matt Eberflus's job, but it feels like they're on the verge of something that they could build on for next year, kind of like the Lions from last year. It was a little mm-hmm. I don't know, interesting. Yeah, and uh, I'm just looking at the chat room, and uh, our, our friend Aldo put in there, oh, no, Buffon said the Bears are not the worst team in the league, and he said that last year. Oh, I know. I, I know. I, I I said the forbidden phrase because I said that last year, and I just got my butt handed to me by high-profile analysts in the sports world uh, you know, calling me out on Twitter. But I, I'm hoping that the Bears are, are far enough ahead that they're not going to be the worst team in the league whenever the standings come. I don't even know if it's possible now. Uh, but you, you know what? I said the forbidden words. The Bears are not the worst team in the NFL. So hopefully, hopefully I didn't just put a curse on them. Yeah, unless the Bears just go like winless these last games and the Panthers somehow just kind of win out. It's not happening, and that's not happening. Just yeah, want to okay. Say that. Okay, not I think happening. I think I'm safe. I think I'm safe now. Okay, good, good. good. You are safe. So, John, 
like you said, there were some real positives to take from this game. The offense moved the ball and the defense once again gave Jared Goff fits. So coming out of this game, I'm curious, were you more impressed with the offense productivity or the defensive efforts? 55 seconds are on the clock. Look, the offense moved the ball, like I said. Justin Fields played well. DJ Moore and Cole Komet put their stamps on the game, and they scored 28 points. But I just continued to be more and more impressed with the Bears' defense. They straight up have Jared Goff's number this year. In two games, Goff averaged just 198 yards passing and threw three touchdowns to five interceptions, plus that fumble in the last game. They kind of just got that dude figured out. So uh, Montez Sweat is a crazy disruptor and is helping create opportunities for other guys. Jalen Johnson is getting himself Aid at some point, and hopefully it's by the Bears. And Jaquan Brisker, oh, what did he do? Just racked up 17 tackles, which is the most tackles by a Bears defensive back since the 1970 merger. So the Bears defense is starting to look like a Bears defense, bringing in sweat and Eberflus taking over the play calling and having the team gel. There is a lot to be excited about with this defense. And I, I know I get excited about defense, and I definitely know Chicago gets excited about defense. Yeah, it's been far too long since the Bears have had a good defense. Like when when you're like you and I, or just any, oh, sorry, any Bears fan growing yeah. up, you know that you you know that the Bears have a good defense for the most part, and especially when Matt Eberflus is brought in, and that's the area of expertise he's supposed to have. The fact that they struggled last year and for the beginning part of this year, it was frustrating. But to really see the the impact that Montez Sweat had coming in here and just what Eberflus has done with this unit, it was really impressive. Like you said, they have Jared Goff's number. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing. And I think that Matt Eberflus also outcoached Ben Johnson too, which was impressive uh, <laughs> considering that, you know, weeks ago we were talking about, you know, Eberflus being fired and obviously it's still on the table, but it was just yeah. a really impressive win. This defense continues to just stack impressive performances. They're a top five unit now, which is just mm. incredible. They had the second most takeaways since Montez Sweat joined, joined uh, the Bears. So just, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do against, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but what they can mm-hmm. do against the Browns this week, uh, especially because they should have some, some things going in their, in their way, in their favor. Yeah, and listen, we've been. I mean, it, we, you, you and I have both said this. We we really like Matt Eberflus as a defensive mind and a defensive coach, and you know, maybe a defensive coordinator. Still on the fence about you know him as a head coach because I, I I just don't know if that if he's like I, I think I said this last week. Don't know if he's literally built to be a CEO or the face of of a, of a team. Um, and, and you know, maybe I always reserve the right to change my mind upon new uh, evidence. And I don't know if this did it. I don't know if this did much for me. But uh, I I still I think that he is a very good defensive coach. Yeah, I find myself before if you were to ask me, oh my gosh, what would you do if Matt Eberflus were, or what, like, what's your reaction about him, then roll it, running it back with him? I would have been like, had a laugh in your face. Now I'm like, uh, I could, let's see what happens, obviously, these last four games, but it's something that I'm not just full on laughing about now. Mm-hmm. And again, that starts with like what he's getting out of the defense. But like you said, as a head coach, he definitely still has uh, ways to improve, but the team, his his team is rallying around him. When you listen to some of the comments like Montez Sweat and Jaquan Brisker uh, are saying about Eberflus, about how he kind of just rallies the team together, they're playing for their coach. So yeah, uh, hasn't lost the locker room, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and listen, there's plenty of guys that love their coach. That doesn't mean it's going to save their job. We've seen plenty of guys lose their job, even though their players coaches, everyone loves them. And we've seen guys like, you know, Rex Ryan get canned and we've seen other people who, you know, people just love to play for them, but that doesn't mean that that necessarily going to keep the job. So I, I still think there's a lot that has to be sorted out by the end of the year. 
Absolutely. And speaking of guys that are playing for their job uh, here over the last few weeks, let's turn our attention to the quarterback Uh, against the Lions. Justin Fields went 19 of 33 for 233 yards with one touchdown. He also added 58 yards on the grounds and a rushing touchdown. So, John, what was your take on Fields' performance? You have 55 seconds. Well, I thought he was efficient and productive and most importantly, no turnovers. So I think that's showing improvement. Uh, This was the kind of performance that we talked about at the beginning of the season, which would be considered relatively successful for what Justin Fields does. Throw for over 200 yards and a touchdown. Don't throw any picks. And then add in some big runs uh, for almost 60 yards and score a touchdown on the ground. Uh, And then he also showed some escapability when the pocket collapsed. But I think they may want to limit the amount of hits he's taken because he took some absolute shots in that game, but he seemed okay. Uh, Look, was it record-breaking? No, but it was productive, and it was enough to win the football game. We saw his chemistry with uh, DJ Moore and Cole Komet, like I said. He seems a bit off with Darnell Mooney for some reason. Hopefully, they're working on that, but it was nice to see him throw the ball down the field a little bit more. We didn't see 15 screens in a row. Overall, I thought Justin Fields played well, and he was a big reason why the Bears won the football game. So, overall, good performance. Yeah, and I think that we can both agree that Fields was the better quarterback out there on Sunday. Uh, obviously, big ups to with the Bears defense and to Jared Goff. But like you said, it wasn't like a really flashy performance, but he did what he needed to do. It was efficient. He got the job done, whether it was on the ground early with his legs. And it looked like he kind of got a little banged up of a couple of those hits, um, including mm. some late hits that were not called. Right. Um, and then so he kind of like relied more on his arm. And again, the, the Justin Fields-DJ Moore connection is just – fun to watch and when you listen to dj and he's like you know justin needs to be here next year he's like "Uh, i'm doing well with this guy right i'm over Mm -hmm. a thousand yards this is probably the best quarterback i've played with so you can that connection is is definitely there so it's just i was impressed with what justin fields did um against the lines and again like you said no turnovers i think that's Mm. something that we're really focused on here down the stretch because he's had some fumbling issues. So I think, and I hope I don't jinx him by saying this, he hasn't thrown a pick in three games. So I'm going to knock on wood there. Sorry. You can all blame me if that happens next week. But, I mean, they are they are playing a really good Browns defense, so it's not all on me. <laughs> yeah, this will be a really good test. This will be this will be this will be good, and uh, and just to see how how things continue to progress, uh, and we'll see. I I think that the, a lot of a lot of the, what do we have four games left. There's there's still I think the, the four games you can make a real statement at the end of the season of where you're going and what the direction of this ball uh, ball team is going to be. Yeah, for sure. And it feels like again, Fields and Eberflus are kind of linked. So uh, it'll be interesting down the stretch here. And I, I think that Justin has, like you said, some opportunities to really prove himself, including starting Sunday against a really talented Browns mm-hmm. defense. But last week we were talking about Matt, Matt Eberflus's future with the team, and you said that you didn't think Ryan Poles had made up his mind yet. But now that Eberflus has won consecutive games, including one against the division leaders. Do you think the needle has moved yet? 55 seconds and go. Okay, so I think this one actually did move the needle. I've said that I think Ryan Poles really likes Matt Eberflus and will look for reasons to retain him. Well, now he can see that the defense is playing much better. They have won two in a row with both wins coming against division rivals, one of which was the first place Lions. Now they have five wins. If they get at least one more, 
They're going to double their win total from last year, and Eberflus has some real ammunition going into the end of the season to make his case on why he deserves another year. Now, a lot of this depends on what kind of role Kevin Warren wants to take here. If he's just focused on getting a new stadium and staying out of football operations, maybe he's inconsequential. But I don't know if that's all he's focused on. And if he wants a clean slate, there will be a clean slate, whether it's a new coach, a new quarterback, a new GM, which I don't think is as likely. But still, you can probably do that if he so changes. So do I think this win may have had an impact? Absolutely. But I'm just not sure how much because I'm not sure who's pulling the strings. Yeah, no, that's a really good point when you talk about Kevin Warren's involvement, right? Because depending on, like, is he here just for the stadium or is he going to have control over football operations? He is Ryan Poles' boss, which was a change in dynamic, obviously, after Ted Phillips uh, retired. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But it did kind of feel, like I said, like a statement win where – it wasn't just they're beating the commanders or beating a bad Panthers team uh, or they beat a Vikings team that had Josh Dobbs at quarterback. They, they beat the division leading lions who were th like at the time, the third, uh, they still are actually uh, the third yeah. uh, best NFC team. So it did feel like a really impressive performance. And I, I don't buy into all of these people just kind of calling the lions frauds at this point, mm. because that takes away from what the bears did out there and you can't yeah. discount their performance and what they did. So I, it did feel like a really big win. So we'll see again. I, we have to see what happens down the stretch. I don't think one win is going to change everything. Now ask the same question next week. If they beat the Browns, oof, them are cooking. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And so like, uh, to your point, it's like, I don't want to say that you don't I, I understand how enticing it is to call a division rival a fraud, <laughs> but at the same time, she's like, ha, we beat you. You must be a fraud because we're not good. <laughs> so I mean I I I understand that they're like, no, they're they're a good team and the and the Bears beat them because they played well. They were better than them on that day. So well, let's let's make sure that we give all the credit to the to the Bears and not just say, oh, it was because the Lions stink. No, the Bears played good football. And honestly, the Bears were the better team in both games until the last sure. five minutes of that other one. So mm. <laughs> we're going to finish with this, John. The Bears are five and eight. They're going to stay on the in the hunt graphic for at least another week. But let's just say the Bears were to beat the Browns this week, which would be three wins in a row. Shocking. And would set their record at six and eight. What kind of feelings would that bring to you? I feel like it might be complicated. So let's turn off the clock. What do you got? Well, I'm never going to feel bad about the Bears winning two in a row or especially three in a row. Ultimately, we want to see a winner and see signs of improvement. However, it does create a new level of irritation. So let's just play a game of pretend for a second. If the Bears were to win this week, they would be six and eight. Looking back, if they hold on and win those games that they absolutely should have won against the Broncos and the first Lions game, they'd be eight and six. Hell, they'd be seven and six right now. And instead of being a funny afterthought on the in the hunt graphic, they'd kind of actually be in the hunt with games against Arizona, Atlanta, and Green Bay to finish the season. You know, they say football is a game of inches, but holistically, one or two blunders can really sink your season. So I'm glad, really glad, really excited and happy that the Bears are playing better. But now it has the potential to open up a new wound of what if. That'll do it for B55. After this message, we'll talk more Bears with the Barroom's lead analyst, Danny Shimon, and preview the Cleveland Browns. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a quarterback in the NFL? 
I have. The quarterback position is arguably the most difficult position in all of sports due to its physical and mental nature. Join me by watching me on this channel on my journey to become an NFL quarterback. Welcome back to Buffone 55. It's time for one of our favorite segments we call Buffone's Basement. That's when we welcome in the barroom's lead analyst, Danny Shimon. Danny, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay, but why is there water in your basement here, man? It's kind of oh, scary. God, it's a whole other story, a whole other show, a whole other Low blow. I almost had to. I almost had to do this. I almost had to do this show from a canoe. Uh, <laughs> the, um, the, the benefits of being a homeowner is that whenever your basement floods, it's on you to get it all figured out. And especially when you host your podcast from your basement, it adds an extra level of uh, difficulty. So luckily, we were able to get that kind of cleared up and we're able to do this show. It's <laughs> a good thing my flippers on yeah I, I almost had my scuba gear on so it was <laughs> it would have been which would have actually would have been a pretty good show but and I know the cruise theater by the way so that'll be a little bit uncomfortable for all three of us to be in that one canoe you're right yeah <laughs> it would have been a little cramped but you know cozy cozy <laughs> so, all right let's just let's just jump into it because <laughs> i, I want to start with the uh the significance of sunday's win uh, against the lions on mondays uh gabriel talks football right here on the barroom network the former director of scouting for the bears said sunday's victory over the lions was not a signature win here's exactly what he said the record says oh they beat a real good team no reality is that's a really shitty football team. Okay. Yeah, they won a lot of games. Do you know how many teams they have beat with a winning record all year? One. One. And that was the first game of the year. They haven't beat a team with a winning record since. So – uh, not Greg Grable, not really impressed with the win over the Lions. Uh, I will say 
it might, seems like at least from, from a Bears standpoint, it might be a signature win because up to that point they had beaten what Sam Howell, Bryce Young, Brian Hoyer, and Josh Dobbs, and so this, this from a just from the Bears chart, it might be a signature win. But uh, Danny uh, and then Alyssa, we'll, we'll turn to you. Do, do you agree or disagree about that? Well, I, I kind of disagree with Greg, and and I said after the game, actually, John, you missed it on on, on Bear football. I think Aldo was going to send me like a, a drug. Uh, uh, taking test kit because I, I was actually positive about Matt Eberflus and, and what he did on, on Sunday. But, you know, just to look at it, this team has won nine games. This team is in first place, this being the Detroit Lions, obviously. They're in first place. So they are the, the team to beat in the division. And the Bears pretty much for, you know, the, of the two games, they pretty much, you know, owned Detroit for seven and a half quarters. It was just that, that last fourth quarter in, in, in Detroit where the Bears let that, let that game slip away. So they should have been Detroit twice. Beat Minnesota, who's who's behind Detroit in the division. So, so you know, and, and for a team that hadn't won for head coach, it had not won any divisional games up until his last two two uh, two uh, weeks. You know, for for him, it is a a, a big game. I think for Matt Eberflus and for that team, again, a team that we've been talking about throughout the season, guys, that this is a losing culture on this football team. And now you you know, your young players say, all right, man, we we you know we controlled the first place team in the division, you know, for two games, you know, we, 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 we let them off the hook one time. We, we finished them off this time, you know, Minnesota, we went there and we, we beat them on the road. So I think this is a, this is a, a confidence building win for, for the bears. And I think for Matt Eberflus, for, for a guy, again, hasn't won any divisional games up until these last two weeks, it was a big, big victory for his, his regime. Uh, Alyssa, what do you think? Was a signature win, big win, little win, big deal, little deal. What do you think? Yeah, no, like I said before, I think it was a statement win, and I don't, I disagree. I don't think that the Lions are a shitty football team. There's a reason. They've won nine games for a reason. But I'll say maybe they're not as great as some are making them out to be, and I think the question has been can they compete with teams like the Niners, the Cowboys, the Eagles. So I definitely think that if you're a team in the NFC playoffs, you obviously want to face the Lions more than other division winners, except for maybe the whoever wins the NFC South there. But I think you're seeing this with – quite a few teams at this point that are struggling and having to go through a little adversity, the lions, the Eagles, the dolphins, the chiefs, like they're good teams that are being challenged right now. And they have some things to clean up before the postseason comes around. So, I mean, I think it's easy to kind of look at what the bears did against the lions. Like Danny mentioned, dominated them for seven plus quarters. They should be two and zero if not for that historic collapse in week 11. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and say that the lions are, aren't good because they got dominated by a bad team just kind of seems unfair because it's discrediting what the bears have done and what they've done against the division leader at that point. So, I mean, I think saying that they beat a bad Lions team is unfair because they were good before the bears before both those bears games. So, Yeah, and that that goes to Cliff's question that he we just brought up: Are, are the Bears that good, or the Lions that bad? I think I think they can meet in the middle somewhere. Where it's just maybe yeah. maybe the Lions aren't world beaters, and the Bears aren't trash, uh, and so they, the Bears the Bears <laughs> hey. are yeah the Bears are pretty good, and they beat a pretty good football team because I, I don't think you can be a bad team and then beat all of the other bad teams. I get that their schedule has been you know pretty has been kind, and they're beating some of the you know the less than five hundred teams, but you got to be a good team to beat those teams at least as above average team to beat those teams so maybe they're not you know maybe they're not the Super Bowl favorite and uh, listen I, I I 
remember some of the the national pundits saying Detroit's the team that they're the their Super Bowl pick at week three, four, five. They said Detroit's going to the Super Bowl, so maybe maybe we take the reins off that a little bit. Uh, but I, I still think they're 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 a pretty good team uh, that the Bears beat. And a big reason for that was has been the emergence of that Bears defense. And I'll tell you what, there are some players on this defense who are indisputably making statements with their play. And one of us that I would like to highlight would be safety Jaquan Brisker. Alyssa, he had. I, as I talked about, it's like 17 tackles, and there were some dis- uh, there are some disputes about the actual number 1570. Do you know the official number number of tackles he had and how they compare with others? Because uh, depending on what account you're looking at, it could be different. Yeah, I, I've seen 17, so we're gonna roll with that. And mm-hmm. it was just impressive to see what Brisker did against the Lions. He was a tackling machine. 17, that's just insane for a safety. Just incredible. And you look at, he had a forced fumble too, a couple pass breakups, six defensive stops in coverage, which was the most uh, in week 14, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, And those 17 tackles are the most by a Bears defensive back since at least 1960, according to Brad Biggs. And it's the most by any NFL defensive back in a non-overtime game since Michael Griffin had 18 with the tackles, uh, tackles with the Titans in 2012. Jaguar safety Rayshon Jenkins had 18 last season in an overtime win against the Cowboys. And then when you look at what Pro Football uh, Pro Football Reference said, the record for the most tackles by a defense by a defensive back is 21 by Rodney Harrison with the Patriots uh, and a loss to the Steelers in 2004. But just simply put, what Brisker did on the field was just incredible. It doesn't happen a lot, so it was an impressive performance by the second year safety, and hopefully a sign of great things to come for Brisker. Speaking of his future, Danny, how do you evaluate Brisker's play? And what do you think his ceiling is? Can he become one of the league's best safeties with a performance like that? Well, in terms of becoming one of the league's best safeties, I'll just pump the brakes on that right now. I mean, definitely he's like he's a guy that's showing progress in his second season. The, the thing about Brisker and, and, and coming out of Penn State, this guy loves uh, contact. He's a guy that will see contact. He's a guy that loves being up, up, uh, you know, around the line of scrimmage. You know, he's, he's, for me, he's more comfortable at the line of scrimmage, you know, what we used to call a box safety in, in the, in the old scouting terms before things changed, you know, recently with, with the NFL, with the, with the systems and offense and all that stuff. So he's a guy that loves being around the line of scrimmage, uh, is, is comfortable around there, is a good blitzer. You, you know, a lot of times where, Ibrahim sends him on, on a blitz. He's a guy that that is very very effective in terms of getting to the quarterback, able to kind of sneak his way up there, get him in between uh, blockers and get in there and, and penetrate into the backfield. Uh, and he brings a swagger to the secondary that the Bears haven't really seen since maybe what maybe the heydays of like a Mike Brown or even even early Eddie Eddie Jackson when he was picking all those all those uh, you know interceptions off early on. But you know the thing about Britsker to become a great safety or, or you know if, if what I would term a great safety. He's got to be more consistent in terms of getting the turnovers, right? He's he's got two two career interceptions. Actually, I think he's dropped more would be interceptions than actually has interceptions. So he's got to get better at that and at getting that ball, turn the ball over. He's got three uh, forced fumbles for his career. So just being or you know around the football, making the tackles is great. But now try punching that ball out, get that ball out of there, create turnovers, create you know opportunities for a defense to to scoop and score, you know pick up the ball off. You know there's a couple of times the ball hit him in his hands and, he, and he's dropped the football. So once he gets there and he starts making those plays, then you can start talking about him being one of the better safeties in the NFL. But right now he's just he's an ascending player who again loves loves you know, being around the football, loves being around you know the line of scrimmage. 
And the other thing negative about Briscoe is he's got to stay healthy. Like there's a lot of times, you know, he misses games here and there, nagging injuries. So, you know, he's, he's got to, you know, kind of, and again, he's, he's got a thin frame, but he's so physical and he loves contact, you know, in terms of, you know, gets the, the nicked up bruises here and there. So, you know, that's one thing. If he can stay healthy, continue to create some turnovers, whether it's a forced fumble or interceptions now, and, and continues with in terms of the, you know, attacking prowess that he's shown. Now we can talk about a guy that's ascending to being one of the better safeties in, in the NFL. Sticking with the defense, a list of the big news out of Hollis Hall today is that defensive end Yannick Ngakwe is out for the season. Uh, what's the what's the information on that? What's the latest? Yeah, unfortunately, Ngakwe suffered a broken ankle in last Sunday's win against the Lions. You know, Matt Eberflus wasn't sure exactly which play it happened on, but he said it was happening somewhere in the final seven minutes, those last couple of drives of the game. And Ngakwe is going to need surgery, and he's already been placed on season-ending injured reserve. You know, he signed a one-year, $10.5 million deal this offseason with the team, and he finishes the season with four sacks. It's the first time in a seven-year career he hasn't totaled at least eight sacks in a season. Figures it happens with the Bears. I'm just shocked, I tell you. Um, as for how the Bears are going to compensate for Ngakwe's loss in terms of getting more pressure, Eberflus joked that they're just going to, quote, blitz every snap. So, uh, yeah, that would be something. Obviously, it's a huge blow for this Bears defense because they have really started to come into their own uh, since the addition of Montez Sweat, but now it means that others along the defensive line are going to have to step up. Uh, Danny, I'm going to pivot to you and I'm going to go to a comment made by uh, J2K. It says off topic, but I'm sure there's a huge, uh, I'm not sure there's a huge drop off from Yannick to Walker and Green. So in your opinion, who steps in for uh, Ngakwe and will it be a committee or is there one person that might get uh, the, the lion's share of snaps there? So guys, which one of Yannick's four sacks was was the best, the best one for you guys? Which one you know, of his career, the Bears career? But uh, well, I remember no. the highlights. But <laughs> the first one. So, but 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 the one thing about by Yannick, and, and all kidding aside, it's, it's it's a shame that you know he went down because he, he was starting to flash, right? You know, obviously before Montez Sweat was here, he, you you saw that he was non-existent. You know, he wasn't he wasn't creating the, the pressure that that we we expected him to create when they signed him. And I was one of the first ones out there saying you got to go get this guy, right? And um, the, but the production wasn't there. And when now you get a guy like Montez Sweat that's drawing all the attention, lo and behold, now Yannick fits in that role, not the premier guy, but more of that secondary kind of uh, pass rusher. And there was a lot of times in that Minnesota game, we, we did a little highlight package of Montez last week where he saw some tackle end stunts where Montez was kicking inside, Yannick was coming around, looping up and creating pressure. So that from that aspect, he's going to be missed. But in terms of who steps up, I mean, I think the natural guy is going to be Demarcus Walker, uh, the guy that, who was starting opposite of Yannick before Sweat got here. I think, you know, he's been kind of relegated to the secondary role, but then also kicked inside where I think he's, he's effective as a, as a third down defensive tackle Walker. So now he's going to be starting opposite. Obviously, Rasheen Green is, 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 a, is a veteran. But in terms of someone that's going to generate some of that pass rush, you know, there, there isn't really anybody on this team that's going to be giving you that type of, you know, pass rush consistency, if, if you will, with with like a guy like Yannick. Now they did sign, actually, they did claim um, Khalid Kareem or, or, you know, from the Colts early on. You know, he got hurt and he went on injury reserve. They brought him back. He's on the practice squad. So I'm interesting if they're going to bring him up. He's a guy that they liked, you know, uh, based off of some of those, you know, practices in, in the uh, in the preseason with the Colts. Interesting if he gets a shot. Dominic Robinson, the fifth round pick from last year, really flashed that first game against San Francisco and, and, and was non existent for the rest of the games and even into this season. So I'm sure he's going to probably be active and he might get another shot here to, to generate something. But yeah, I, I think I think Ngakwe, you know, was was really kind of coming into his own once Sweat got here. And I think that the combination of him, those two, was, was really kind of helping 
Iberflus and, and that defensive line generate some pressure. So we'll see how that that that, that is a, a blow to the Bears. I don't know if it's a huge blow, but it is it's gonna be something that's gonna be uh I, I guess just because there isn't anybody specifically on the on the you know the bench or anything like that that's gonna come in and pick up some of that slack. Yeah, and uh and Gakwe was one of the guys that I, I was talking about when I said there are players who are getting more opportunities with Montez Sweat in there. He's creating opportunities for other players. And yeah, I, I you know, you wish you could see that kind of play out a little bit. But uh, I think are we all in agreement that uh, that's probably it for Ngakwe in Chicago? He won't be back next yeah. year. Yeah, I, I think you gotta go as one of your priorities is you gotta go get a pass rushing defensive event. Now it might not be an every down defensive end. It could be just a, like a situational pass rusher, but but a guy that's that that gets you know balls to the wall, gets to the quarterback at all expense because that's what you need opposite of of Montez Sweat. All right, and that takes care of the the defensive line. We'll see how they, we'll see how they sort that out moving forward, and if they can get some uh, productivity on the other end with Ngakwe out. Uh, Alyssa, I, I do. Wanna... If they're going to go outside the organization. Sorry about that, John. Just I'm, I mean, I, you know, some veterans out there, maybe you know, like like a Carlos Dunlap, 34 years old, hasn't played at all this year. Was with the Chiefs last year. I'm not sure how they feel in terms of do they need to go out to get an, a veteran yeah. guide? You know, do they just want to give these young guys some reps and, and see what happens from there? That's if they were in a, if they were in a playoff push, I could maybe see that. If they were like really actually in the hunt, like they're angling for a wild card positioning, maybe they got to go out and see if they can get a, like a mercenary. Oh, I don't want to hear it, Danny. That <laughs> you have hope now. Hold on, hold on. No, it's not so much hope. I would have had had they beaten the Broncos and the Lions the first time. Absolutely, they they, 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 they eight and six. Don't put words in my mouth, Aldo. <laughs> now I'm saying no. I went for playoffs. Being, I can say it without okay, laughing. Let's talk about the evolution of my opinions. So far throughout just just this last hour, I said the Bur- the Bears weren't the worst team in the NFL to now they're going to the playoffs. That's how that's how the things have been manipulated. They're one so game now. out of a wild card spot. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I, <laughs> yes, that Packers are. game could be for the playoffs. Just like the Lions last year. We were talking about whenever the the, the Bears and the Packers both looked like they were dead in the water. Uh, We were talking about that game could mean the difference between like the third overall pick and the fourth overall pick. And now now we're talking about something that it might mean something. We'll see. I don't want to put the – I don't want to – I don't want to jump to conclusions. I don't want to – I can't get my hopes up for anything, guys. You know this. optimistic, John. We don't get to do it very often. We can be cautious. Cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I don't know. Optimistic, fine maybe what if they caution. win Sunday? I, I can't keep getting i can't keep letting them break my heart like this because as soon as i as soon as i get hope that's when they're gonna lose by 30 to joe flacco so i'm like i can't i guess I, I can't i can't do that it could happen, that could uh, happen. I'm, not, I'm not oh i'm boy. not even i'm not even tiptoeing into that water yet it, it's just too cold for me but I let, we'll, we'll hit that next week <laughs> oh sure well Maybe we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it works. Maybe. Uh, so I want to go back to Jaquan Brisker real quick because uh, Alyssa, he met with the media on Monday and talked quite candidly uh, about the hits to the head Justin Fields has taken with no penalties being called against the offenders. And before we break that down, here here's the clip of that. You know, I know he's two thirty and he's running a four three, so. But it doesn't really matter. He's still a quarterback. We have to protect him, and um, it's disappointing. Obviously, the, the other team being told to do dirty stuff after the play, hit him like this a certain way. It's obviously being told just by the way they've been, been treating him these last couple of weeks. A lot of shots to the head. And it's, it's very disappointing seeing a guy like that um, get hit and take hits like that. And one of those hits, you know, you know, God forbid, you know, could be something very bad. So um, the, I think the league need to get on that. 
Alyssa, most uh, I'd say most Bears fans believe that Fields is one of the only quarterbacks not being protected by the officials. But then on Monday night, we saw a Packers defensive back uh, just level a hit on a sliding Tommy DeVito. Tommy with no uh, penalty called here. As you, if you're watching the video version, you can see that right there. What's your feeling on whether Fields is being mistreated by officials or is this just a systematic officiating problem in the NFL? I think this has been an issue for years dating back to Fields' rookie season. How many times has he taken shots to the head or neck area and there's been no flag? I mean, it's one thing for it to happen to a rookie, like you mentioned, Tommy DeVito. You generally have to gain some respect, right, from the officials the longer you're, you're playing in the league. But that hasn't happened with Fields, you know, who isn't alone in getting not getting calls. But it does seem to happen to him more than anyone else. Um, I think it, the problem is that the officials treat dual threat quarterbacks like running backs, you know, fields in particular, and that needs to change. I mean, there's a clear rule for mobile quarterbacks, like you're, you're sliding to give yourself up, right? So that's telling the defense, right? And when you start sliding, that's where the ball is marked. So it's not like sliding and you get an extra yard is something that the defense has to defend at all. At that point, there's absolutely no reason to hit him other than teams can get away with it with sure. fields because they're not making the calls. And until the, the officials start making those calls of fields, Telling teams you can't do that unless you want to gift wrap a free 15-yard penalty, teams know they can get away with it. Absolutely. And uh, I said in the B-55 segment that he took some absolute shots against Detroit. Danny, how sustainable is Justin Fields' ability to run with the ball if he's going to be hitting the head that often or, or uh, you know, those design run plays? Is this one of the issues that defenders of Fields' type of play should be concerned about moving forward is the long, long-term sustainability about this? Yeah, that's the one thing, and I agree with with, with Brisker. You know, God forbid something happens in terms of someone hits him in the head or, or or you know hits him in the ribs, breaks a rib or something like that. But that's the thing. It's it's with with running running quarterbacks like Fields. You know, they're they're he's six three, two thirty, runs a four four. So obviously, you know, the referees give him you know some leeway there for defenders. Same thing with Salah. Same thing with guys with Cam Newton. Cam Newton right. will get killed all the time because he's a, he was a big you know athletic quarterback that ran fast and was you know. And, you know, we saw Will Levis trucking over uh, defensive uh, players uh, versus Miami. You know, that, that's going to have to stop pretty soon, too. So I, I think well, Will Levis now pretty soon is going to see if he starts sliding, he'll get some late hits and he's not going to get, you know, get called overall. So I think that that's an issue where Fields doesn't get the calls. Noon didn't get the calls. So I, I think, that, you know, the Bears got to keep getting on on the, the officials, get on the league to make sure that, you know, these are, are, are highlighted. These are, you know, turned into the league and, and they, these officials are reprimanded for, for missing calls here. So, but the one thing that, that Fields has to do is just stop taking those big hits and just get down, just get down as quick as can. And I, I, there was one play, I, I believe in the third or fourth quarter where, where he was trying to scramble and there was, there was nothing there. He just went down and I'm like, good, just go down because he was getting shot after shot, whether it's, you know, Anzalone or, or, or Aiden Hutchinson or whoever was, you know, Kaminsky. The one that Kaminsky just grabbed him and just kind of slammed him on his, on his right arm. And that's where you saw on, on the sidelines where he's kind of loosening up that shoulder. So, you know, it's even though, even if he's running and they, they grab him, they're, they're just slamming him to the, to the ground. So that's where, you know, he's going to have to continue to protect himself and just get down. And hopefully the officials will, will see these late, late hits and, and call some penalties. Yeah, I want to uh, bring up a, a point that PZ just put up. It said Flus needs to point it out to the refs prior to kickoff. And, we, and we've and we seen, you know, basketball coaches do this, football coaches do this. Just be that that squeaky wheel constantly before it's like, hey, he's doing this. Hey, he's doing this. Hey, eventually the, the refs are going to be like, okay, we got to call this one. <laughs> so actually, we, we actually Fields said today in his press conference, John, that, that he actually talks to the refs prior to the game and says, hey, you know what? Yeah, first play. <laughs> yeah, and the first play they, they, they do it. And they don't get a penalty. So. Unbelievable. 
Maybe I mean maybe this maybe this week when they're talking about it that will be the the focal point or that'll bring up a little bit more. The refs are like, hey, they've been talking about this a lot in Chicago. Let's at least try to keep an eye on this. And that's the thing is with this defense now with Cleveland with Jim Schwartz as the defensive coordinator, they are going to be taking as many cheap shots as they can to get because you knock Fields out, game's over. I mean the Bears can't move the ball on offense, so that's the thing is like they're they're going to try and knock them out. So. You know that, that, that I'm curious to see what kind of game plan that you know gets in and the Bears come up with this this this, uh, this weekend versus the that Browns defense. Right, also, interesting enough, uh, Fields hasn't drawn any unnecessary roughness calls this season. None. Zero. Zero. Isn't that something? You know, you would, you would think that there you think there'd be one, but maybe you not. Games there, but come on. <laughs> no, you, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That, that is that is a little surprising. I didn't, I didn't know that stat until you just said that. That is that is wild. Uh, and yes, I want to, Moriano, thank you. <laughs> I, I do want to stick with uh, with the, the the offense here. One of the guys that's paid to defend Justin Fields, and dare I say, he's doing a much better job than the officials are, is Braxton Jones, the sophomore left tackle for the Bears. Danny, you have three clips you want to break down for us. But first, uh, begin with what the profile for a left tackle should be for this offense that the Bears run and your feelings on how Jones fits that profile. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, the talk about Braxton Jones, you know, since he come back from, from, from the injuries is where I, I've been kind of focusing on him and seeing because, you know, as much as there's a question mark about fields and the future and some of the other players on his roster, you know, Braxton Jones is a guy that that's under the spotlight as well. Because you know, with those two top top ten picks, top five picks potentially, you know there are, there are a couple offensive linemen that are coming out in the draft, specifically tackles that could go in that range. And and, and the Bears need to know if Braxton Jones is their future at left tackle. I, I was a huge proponent and fan of of Jones last year. I felt like he needed to get stronger and be better at taking out power. Uh, first three games didn't look didn't look to be that much improved. Obviously, got injured then with a neck injury, went on IR. And then he's he's come back now and and he's played th three or four games now and that's why I wanted to kind of highlight on him. I think he's he's done a pretty good job. Still, some things that I'm kind of a little bit concerned about. But in terms of the the profile for this this offense, Jones is man. He's six five, three ten, three fifteen, athletic. He's got the thirty five plus inch arm length. The guy that can move laterally. The guy that like that can maintain his position as he's run blocking. You know, go, going east and west. Guy that can get out out of his blocks and, and get out into the open field and be a lead blocker. You know, a couple of clips here will show you that that his ability to get out in the open field and be a, a lead blocker for a couple of ball carriers. So, you know, obviously this this first clip here is where I'm, I'm concerned at. You know, he still lets defensive linemen get into his chest, right? And then this is where they rock him back. This is where he takes it takes on power and gets rocked back into the quarterback. And this is where I think some of the technique here in, in terms of his 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 um, arms being able to shoot out quickly and being able to keep the defender off him. Here, I think he's improved in terms of his run blocking. You see his ability to quickly get out of his stance, get to a, a slippery linebacker like Anzalone, and be able to go ahead and, and push him off with those 35-plus-inch arms, you know, kind of, kind of protect that, clear a path there for Justin Fields to kind of cut back behind him and gain a positive yard. So I think that's where he's kind of kind of improved there in terms of as a run blocker. Here, I believe this is the one where he goes ahead and, and gets out into the open space, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, this is where he's taking on actually Aiden Hutchinson. So here, here again, once again, look at how his hands are late to shoot. Allows Hutchinson into his chest. Hutchinson now makes him get up. He, he plays tall, loses leverage, and gets walked back pretty much to Justin. Justin was able to get rid of the football, though. But uh, that, that's an area where he's got to get improved on, get get a better anchor, be able to kind of shoot his hands in, in a quicker uh, format and keep his chest protected. Here we're going to see him. I believe this is where he's going to get out in front. And I talked about his ability, his cat-like quickness to get out in the open field, take on that that defender, clear the way for, for Justin to go ahead and, and get that 
uh, that first down there behind that run. So you know, on, on quarterback sweeps, on toss plays to the outside, a lot of times you'll see Braxton Jones out in front leading the way uh, as a lead blocker. Uh, we have a, I think a couple of clips here also against against Minnesota as well, where we, we see some of his ability here as as a as a uh, as a run blocker. We talked about his ability to go east and west, maintain his position, especially in this wide zone scheme that the Bears run. You need athletic linemen that can move their feet, maintain their, their positions with their defensive linemen, and just wash them out or or seal them off to give that running back a cutback opportunity. And here you see does a good job of again maintaining his presence or maintaining that that touch and 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 the the. Um, the position between him and the defender. Uh, here he's going up against Danielle Hunter, one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL. And here we'll see what happens when, when Braxton Jones does play what I call play long, extends his arms, gets it out, and maintains that clean chest plate, is able to thwart off that, that press or that pass rush by, by Daniel Hunter there and, and gives Fields enough time to get rid of the football. So this is where he's got to improve. He's got to get consistent in terms of playing long with his arms, maintaining that, that area between himself and the pass rusher. This is going to be another play here where, where he's, he's run blocking. Again, moving moving laterally here and being able to maintain that position and, and washing that defender out of the way, giving that running back an opportunity to cut back behind him or even clearing a lane for the running back to go to follow his fullback or follow his other lead blockers to get up there and become, uh, get positive yards. That's why the Bears are one of the better uh, running teams in the NFL. Braxton Jones and that offensive line are, are, are keys to, in terms of getting those running backs, those lanes, and those cutback opportunities to go ahead and make plays. There's one more game here against this past week against Detroit. Again, I want to show you here the inconsistencies again with him, just his arms again, just shooting him out quickly. John Kaminsky, who is not the elite pass rusher, gets into his chest, walks him back. Now, Kaminsky does play tall as well, so that allows Jones to go ahead and kind of you know re regain his momentum and and kind of you know stall him there for for a bit. But again, just the the inability to protect his chest, allow a defender into his torso, gets bowled back and gets and gets you know gets pressure on the quarterback. This is where he's got to continue to get better and continue to improve. And I, I guess also get stronger. And again, this is the big the big play here. This is that DJ Moore touchdown. Guess who's out in front in the open space, leading that path. Key block right there clears a path for for DJ Moore to get into that touchdown. Him in the open field with that athletic ability, with those with that frame and his ability to get up to the next level of defenders, second and third level defenders, it's what the Bears love about this kid. And I think just there's some technique things he's got to work on. He's got to get stronger at least. But again, power is where he struggles. Speed, he's generally is good at good versus speed. Power is where when a defender gets up into his chest, he walks. They walk him right back into the into the quarterback and. This week going up against Miles Garrett, that is going to be scary. So if he doesn't play sound technique, if he doesn't get some help there, it, it, it's going to it might be a long afternoon for Justin Fields back there. And before we move on, Danny, just in your opinion, some of those shortcomings you're talking about are those things that can be improved upon and increase his ceiling as a starter, mm -hmm. or or is or uh, does he have a low ceiling? No, no, he, he he can he can get better. I mean, this is only his second year. He came out of Southern Utah, fifth round pick. I think this is a guy that can definitely get better. He's got the physical traits. He's got the athletic ability you want in this scheme. And this, assuming the Bears keep this scheme, this system, he's the perfect left tackle for them. He just got to get stronger in his base. Um, he's got he's got to get more consistent with with his technique. If he gets that, if he, we talk, we show that Daniel Hunter, one of the premier pass rushers, he was able to extend his arms keep his chest clean, and he was able to keep Daniel Hunter at bay and give just enough time to get rid of the football. Being consistent with, with his technique, getting a little bit stronger in terms of his, his anchor, I think now you're seeing a guy that can be a, 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 you know, a very you know, good left tackle, starting left tackle in the NFL for a long time. 
good news for Bears fans, and you know, they, then they can use that pick for something else. If they if they like where Braxton Jones is trending, then that pick can be used for uh, for another area of need. But uh, let's let's go ahead and turn. Let's talk about the present. Let's turn our attention to the Cleveland Browns. Alyssa, I saw that you uh, wrote about how Vegas looks at this game, and I understand that uh, they're the Bears are underdogs again this season. Correct. <laughs> That's right, John, but it's not as big as everyone thinks. I mean, I've seen that it started at like three, so it kind of sounded like they weren't really sure where this game was going to go. But the underdog Bears have something to prove against this Browns team that's making a push for the postseason with their fourth different starting quarterback this season. So for more on the Browns, let's go to the Podfather and his weekly video essay on the Bears' upcoming opponent. Here's Aldo Gandia. Cleveland Browns will improve to 6-1 and one at home. Fake and throw, Flacco wide open, touchdown Najoku! Coach Joe Flacco really likes it. Second and five, open man Najoku, he could go! Touchdown! They're going to snap it. Flacco throws, open man, could go! David Bell, touchdown! They get 311 yards through the air from Joe Flacco, three touchdowns. There's a strong case of Flacco fever running throughout Cleveland. Hey, I wish we would have paid that Deshaun Watson money to Joe Flacco. I feel like he deserves it, honestly. Well, obviously it feels good when you, you, it looks like people have confidence in you. Um, it feels awesome to go out there and, and get the win. I do feel like we're doing a lot of good things. I appreciate you guys having me, man. I feel like a 10-year-old kid out there. (laughs) But he's not 10 years old. He's 38, and while the division win against the Jaguars has fired up the Cleveland faithful, there were faults to Flacco's game that might heavily favor the Bears' defense. They're down in four. Flacco intercepted. Flacco threw a pick last week, and he throws one here. The interception against the Rams came at a crucial point in the fourth quarter, and when the Rams sealed the win, they sent a reminder to the NFL that Flacco is not fleet of foot. Flacco in trouble, and Flacco is down. It's a safety. While Flacco has only been sacked three times in his two starts, that number could increase this week. His starting center is suffering from a stinger injury, and his right tackle is out for the season. The Browns have had more than their share of black and blues, and worse, this season. Outstanding safety Grant Delpit was ruled out for the season this week, as well as defensive tackle Maurice Hurst II. Add to that, pass rusher Obo Okoronko, he had pec surgery this week. So badly for those guys, uh, they're a big part of, of who we are. They certainly have been a big part of our success to date, uh, but well, you know, next man up. Stefanski's calmness on the matter is helped by weapons on offense and defense. Running back Jerome Ford is closing in on a thousand all-purpose yards. Walks the tightrope. Receivers Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore each has 50 or more catches. And tight end David Najoku leads the team with 59 receptions. Touchdown, David Najoku! You know, Dillard on Garrett, absolutely no chance. And On defense, the Browns have a nuclear weapon named Miles Garrett. 
Miles gets a ton of attention. <laughs> Breaking news in the Sports Center. The coordinators, when they're getting ready to game plan for him, I mean, the game plan is built around stopping him. So he gets a ton of attention via tight end chips, running back chips, slides to him. Uh, and he's a difficult guy to block. So there's always going to be plays that the offensive line is holding on for dear life, sometimes literally. Against the Jaguars Sunday, the Browns forced four turnovers and totaled four sacks. For the season, they have 38 sacks and have forced 10 fumbles, recovering four of them. They currently rank tied for 10th in interceptions. And the Browns defense comes through again. Browns kicker Dustin Hopkins has hit on 91% of his field goals and is no stranger to game-winning kicks. 40 for the win, it is good! Punter Corey Bohorquez has a great leg and was inches away from hitting the punt of the season. The Browns coaches and players like to point out that they'll have a big advantage over the Bears Sunday home field. The home crowd is our 12th man. Like they do so much for us out there and um, it was definitely great to get back out there after losing two straight to, to get out there and get in front of the home crowd and just feel the energy that they brought um, and we're hoping they bring that again this Sunday. The last time the Chicago Bears played in Cleveland, they lost 26 to six. It was Justin Fields' first NFL start and he was sacked nine times and threw for only 68 yards. Fortunately, the man most responsible for that debacle, Matt Nagy, is no longer with the team. And Justin Fields could be making his arrival as a superstar in this league with a great performance in Cleveland Sunday. For Buffon 55, I'm Aldo Gandia. Best in the business, Podfather Aldo Gandia. Thank you so much for that report on the Cleveland Browns. A lot to digest there. Uh, Danny, I'm going to turn to you because we kind of talked about this while you were breaking down the Braxton Jones film. But uh, Miles Garrett lines up primarily on the right side. So that means that Jones is going to have a really a tough assignment. How do you foresee Luke Getze giving Jones help or addressing Miles Garrett on that side of the defensive line? Well, I'm going to go to church Sunday morning and I'm going to pray <laughs> that we see a lot of 12 man personnel and we see a lot of Mercedes Lewis helping out Braxton Jones because if not, Justin's going to be in a, in a world of hurt. But the only thing is, but what Jim Schwartz does with, with Miles Garrett, because he knows he's kind of like the Max Crosby, if you will. He's the guy that dominates that, that whole defensive line. And, and there's times where I've seen when you're watching their tape film, like he, he'll right before the snap, he gets up and he goes in motion. It's kind of like, like an offensive player. And then you don't you don't know where he's coming from. He's coming over the center. He's coming over the guard. He's coming over the tackles. So that's the thing with, with Miles Garrett. They move him around so much just to kind of free him up. Get you know get him on the weak link on on that offensive line. So the good news is that you know they uh, that their the next best pass rusher is is Argronco, and I think he's having pec surgery. So whether he plays or not, we'll see. But you know if if you can minimize or neutralize Miles Garrett, I'm not gonna say if you can stop him because it, it's gonna be hard to stop that guy. That guy's a, a a freak of nature. But if you can just minimize the, the impact and damage he can do in the game, and use your strength as running the football as a running football team, I think that's what that's where the, you know the uh, Getsy can go ahead and, and get the Bears going here, getting some positive yards and then getting this defense on their heels a little bit. Now I do expect some. I said on, on on Bear Football, I do expect some of that horizontal passing game. You know, the the, the quick hitters to to more and to the receivers, 
some 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 uh, you know some screen passes just to kind of offset some of that that aggressive pass rush. But but again, you you have to be able to utilize Justin. You know what what he's been doing these last three games is getting out of the pocket, getting away from pressure, and looking downfield to try and find a, a player and you know, or, or a receiver. And I think if he continues doing that, you know the, the secondary isn't great. Right, their best secondary player, Grant Delpit, is out for the season. That was announced. I think that today they announced their left tackle, Jedrick Willis, is out for the season as well. So they're going to be down another offensive lineman. I don't think that was that was in the report there. But uh, you know, so the, the Bears, if their defense continues to to kind of excel and, and and get better, as we've seen the last couple couple of weeks, they have a chance to really do you know hopefully you know minimize and, and maintain Joel Flacco. I can't believe I just said minimize and maintain Joel Flacco. <laughs> But uh, they can do that. Yeah, exactly. And then and then the offense gives them some points. I think they have a chance to pull out a victory. But they are tough at home. Cleveland is, is very tough at, at home. So and I was gonna ask you, and you kind of answered it right there as far as how do they how could they take advantage of that or neutralize the aggressiveness of the Cleveland Browns? And you're talking about the horizontal passing. Any chance we could see a slant? <laughs> is there could we could we see one of those? No, I doubt, I doubt we'll see a slant. No, I, I think I think we're gonna see a lot of screens, some some horizontal, and I see I think we'll see Justin running some more. And again, we talked about earlier taking some of those shots. Jim Schwartz is is a defensive coordinator. He has I'm I'm guaranteeing you he's gonna tell these guys, take a shot at Justin's. You know whether it's his ribs or, or something where where you, you get him knocked out of the game. Well, let's let's move to the side of the ball. Alyssa, uh, the Bears, Bears wire has the Cleveland Browns ranked eighth in their power rankings. Do you think this team is better with Joe Flacco, who seems to be flip flopping on and off the practice squad, but eventually probably will be the starter? Uh, do you think that they're better with Joe Flacco, as a lot of uh, Browns fans seem to think, uh, as we saw in Aldo's video? <laughs> Uh, for now, I mean, definitely Flacco over Ruby Dorian Thompson Robinson for sure. You have an experienced veteran uh, over a developing rookie, although there, I know that Deshaun Watson money uh, could have been well, better well spent. So, you know, Flacco has played really well since stepping in for the Browns. He has 565 passing yards, five touchdowns, but he's also tossed a couple of interceptions. But I think when you pair a consistent quarterback like Flacco, who's been in the league, with that Cleveland defense, you're you're starting to cook. I think that makes them really good. Browns defense, like Danny was saying, not only have they been one of the best in the NFL, but they're better at home. And unfortunately, this game is going to be in Cleveland. So you're not going to need to score a whole lot of points, I think. But you need to protect the football. So that's going to be uh, the onus for Justin Fields. With that said, I think that the Bears defense has a good opportunity to rattle Flacco on Sunday Obviously, the Yas of Yannick Ngakwe isn't great, but we've seen this defense rattle Jared Goff a couple times, Josh Dobbs uh, in the last three games, and the Browns will be with that bull starting tackle. So there are going to be opportunities for this Bears defense to, to once again take over this game. And, you know, I really have a feeling this could be a defensive battle that when all is said and done, the team that commits the fewest mistakes is going to win. And they're they're also it's a stationary target back there with Flacco. You don't you don't gotta worry yeah. about him moving the pocket or getting free or you know moving up in the pocket and taking off down the field. That's just not gonna happen. So in a in passing situations, they can kind of you know pin their ears back and just go after him and not worrying about oh no we needed to contain Joe Flacco. Uh, so I, I just don't I just don't see that uh, being something that they have to worry about. Um, do you think? Uh, 
listen, we all have a little bit of, we all remember what happened against the Browns. <laughs> it, was, it was Justin's first, PTSD. first start. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't think that's, that's so far back in the past. I don't think it has anything to do with, but as bears fans, is it, does that give you a little extra worried about what we saw in Justin Fields first start against the Browns and what, what different coach, different personnel, different players, but does that game come to mind whenever you, whenever you're looking ahead of this, either one of you. Uh, for me, uh, for me, I mean, obviously you think about it because it was Justin's first start, but but Nagy's gone. Nagy's out in KC, and and, and he's he's ruining uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and he's having left the referees <laughs> now. So so I, I think Nagy's well gone. I, I think I'm hoping that, that Getsky Getsy does not utilize that five man person five man personnel against against uh against Miles Garrett and puts a rookie like Cole Komet a tight end up against Miles Garrett one on one. So. Uh, that, that's that's uh, long and gone, and, and I think Justin's a better player. I think Justin's uh, obviously mature from that game. I think that game did kind of rattle Justin, or you know, early on in his first career start, and he got in the sack what nine times. So I think obviously offensive line is, is is better than what we had back then as well. And and we do have you know, weapons like DJ Moore, Cole Komet, and we do have a running attack. And that's the thing you have to utilize against any pass rushing team or a pass rusher is run at them and, and make them stop the run and then utilize your athletic quarterback to get away from pressure and create some stuff, some havoc with it, with his legs. So I, 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 that, that game, obviously, other than the fact that it was Justin's first game, and it was such a horrible game to watch. It, it's not something that I'm, I'm fearing in terms of going into this, into this game. It got me rattled. So I can only oh, imagine. What it did. I don't know what it did. I don't know. I can only imagine what it did to Justin Fields because I was watching that and I was physically rattled. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure that that it got him a little, uh, got him a little rattled. Alyssa, that, I'm sure that's still, is it still burning in your mind a little bit? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I'm not worried about that. I know, I know that was you know, three years ago and a lot has changed. The offensive line's better. Matt Nagy's not there. But I mean, Luke Getzi, let's not pretend that he's, you know, a whole lot better than Matt Nagy. I'm a little concerned about the game plan, but I don't know. Miles Garrett's still there, right? And Danny was talking about those nine sacks. Four and a half of them came from Miles Garrett. So, I mean, I still feel like when we look at like Justin Fields and like how he's, you know, nervous back there and kind of indecisive at times and not really trusting the offensive line, I feel like the seed was planted in that game in his first start where he was just thrown to the wolves and eaten alive back there. So I'd be lying if I said I'm not a little nervous. I do think that that it'll be handled much better. Justin is a better player than he was then, uh, a lot more experienced. But I'm I'm going into this a little nervous because Miles Garrett is still on that team, and that's a really good defense. Alyssa, you're welcome to join me at church Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, I'll be there. Let's go. <laughs> Alyssa, you're talking about how it's going to be better. I mean, the bar is set so low, it couldn't possibly it get sacked 10, 15 Let's... times. So, like, Don't I mean, put that in the universe, John. Yeah, the, the bar is set pretty low for it to be a better uh, performance, <laughs> no, just overall performance or a game plan, I should say. Uh, before before we start doing our, uh, our exit stuff here, uh, I do want to go to a question that uh, Joe Treviso brought up for you, Danny. Danny, if Fields has success against the Browns defense, will he get praise or will there be excuses? <laughs> Well, if he has success, I, I I don't I don't I'm not sure what excuses there would be. I mean, other than I mean, to, like to me, guys, you guys know I'm a Justin Fields fan. I, I think in the last since he's come back from the thumb injury, I think he's shown progress. He's getting better. Um, you know, my my thing with him is is his ability to kind of you know manipulate the pocket now a little bit. You know, he's buying some time, looking to find guys down the football field. We I touched against Detroit and Minnesota. Him the ability to climb the ladder in the pocket, step up in the pocket, and make dime throws. You know, down the field. That throw uh, on that fourth and thirteen that to, to DJ Moore, that was it, a beautiful throw. Draw Hutchinson off, off sides and then know that you know be able to just throw it on the on the on the run to to DJ Moore. Those are the things he's he plays he's making from the pocket. You know there was a, there was one play where 
uh, it, it was negated because of a holding call, but you know, he escaped pressure, ran around, and then found uh, Cole Komet for about a 25 yard gain in the middle of the football field. And you know, but that was negated because of the holding call. I mean, he's doing stuff like that now. So I think he's getting better, he's progressing there. And then you go on the road, and if if you're you know, if you're you know, Justin uh, Justin Fields, and if you're Matt Evil's listening to this team, you go on the road and you beat a, a team like, like the Browns who are coming off you know a, a victory, who have a, have a pretty damn good defense at home. Who are what the fifth seed in the AFC right now? You know that that's a that's going to be a huge win, and that and this is and again, John. I know you don't want to get your hopes up, but if if they beat Cleveland, all they have left then is is Arizona on Christmas Eve, the don't Falcons on New Year's Eve, and then the Packers game. That could be that week eighteen could be a, a wild card match. Winner goes to the wild card game. So. Danny, Danny, the whole they, they get church at that point. They, they got to get past Cleveland. If they get past Cleveland, John, all bets are off. Got, guys, the holidays are tough enough. Like we don't, we don't, we, we, we don't, we don't need this. Uh, but, but th- that goes back to what my one of my points was during B fifty five. If they beat the Broncos and they beat the the Lions before that, look what the, look what's on the table at the end of the season. Because right now That's they what, go ahead. Finish, finish, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, they would they are would they be in a playoff spot right now at eight yes. and six? Yeah, yeah and yeah. and then they have one of the easier roads to to yeah. finish out the season, and they could they'd be in the playoffs. But I, but that's, you know, I, go. That's why I'm not sold on Eberflus as the head coach moving forward. Mm-hmm. Has the team gotten better? Yes. Has the team is the team playing for him? Yes. Is he a better defensive coordinator than than Alan Williams? Hell yes. But I just don't see him as that that leader that's going to lead this team to the to the promised land and. And those two victories are or are, are, are losses should have been victories. You, you win those two games at home with double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. You're cruising, or not cruising, but you're well into position of, to make the playoffs here. Yeah, and uh just, just Bruce Arlia just says, John, have some faith. I, I want to have faith. I have faith, and I will be cheering for this team to win every single minute of every single game. I just uh I keep, I always say I just can't keep putting my heart out there for them to smash. So if they if they get they think- can I think you're the most. I think you're more pessimistic than me, and that's a first. I'm not being really pessimistic. The, I'm or no, no, less less optimistic. Yeah. I should say. Sorry. I'm guarding my. <laughs> I'm guarding my inner peace because, like, I I've done this so many it's times. Fair. I'm like, okay, they're on it. It's coming. It's coming. And guess what? It just falls apart. So like, I, I'm like, I, I will. I hope. And I'm. Yeah, listen, I'll be. I'll be there at, at church on Sunday praying for all that too. Like, please pull it out, pull it out, and, and then uh, I, I hope to see that come to fruition. It's just that I, I got to be cautious. I just can't keep. I can't keep throwing my heart out there for them to smash. Uh, to, just to hit with a mallet. But I. But I hope it comes true. I really do. I really hope to. And I hope that. I always say I'd rather be wrong a million times and the Bears win than for me to be right and they lose. I don't care about being right. I care about winning. I, I don't care about having the wrong opinion. I don't care about if I have to change my mind on something upon learning new evidence because that's what a pragmatic mind should do. But but if I if I if I if I'm wrong. I don't care. Just win the football game. Win, win games. Go to the playoffs. I picked what, them to go one if, and four these win? last five games. <laughs> so what, what, I'm what I'm win, <laughs> a question for both of you guys: What if a win means the Bears keep Eberflus and a loss means they fire Eberflus? How would you? Oh do? boy. Well, what happens it, the last three games? <laughs> yeah, it's like does that if it does? I mean, if it if it, it means they get into the playoffs, win, win it. Uh, yes. And listen, I, I, and Danny, I tend to be with you a little bit as far as I'm not sure 
if Eberflus can be the CEO face of it. I would love for him to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, I would love for him to be a, you know, a, a senior assistant head coach or whatever they, whatever title they'd want to give to those people now. Uh, but, and I always want to see them win. Uh, and I, it's hard for me to just be like, just lose. So this guy gets out of here. I, I mean, I even had a hard time doing that with Matt Nagy and I wanted to see him out of there more than anybody. And it was just like, I, I like, I, I can't root for them to lose. I just, I can't, I can't do that. It's not. And once again, I'll say it, I'll say it uh, for the millionth time. If someone is, you know, they, they want to see better draft positioning for tanking or they want to get a, they want to get a guy out of there. I, I'm not a gatekeeper of how somebody, you know, handles themselves as a fan. So I'm not going to say anyone is fanning the wrong way. I don't care because all of us just want to see the Bears be successful. So if somebody wanted to be like, okay, do lose to get this guy out of here because I just want to see the Bears win, that's fine. We all we all may take different routes, but we all want to get to the same destination. So uh, it's it's I, I for me, I'd still root for them to win, but I I'm with you where I'm not overly sold with necessarily being the guy i don't know yeah. it could it could change i'm just not there yet yeah i mean I, for me personally i i want i want to see the win because i i want to see this young team just finally get over the hump and start winning some games just for their overall confidence and, and just you see how they they are now with once these couple of wins right they they you, know, the, you see the smiles you see justin being more relaxed at, 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 you know at the podium and you see Eberflus, you know being even more you know more goofier than he normally is at, at the podium so it's this but I just, you know, even if they win and they went out and they make the playoffs or don't make the playoffs, if they went out, I, I think they, they are going to bring back Eberflus. And that, at that point now is, you know, Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren, do you do a deep dive into this coaching staff and say, all right, you know, we, we've got to do something here in terms of, you know, are we keeping Justin? Is, is this the quarterback? I say yes, keep him, build around him. But then, all right, so how are we going to help, help Luke Getze to, to kind of get over his hump in terms of young developing play caller with, with a talented quarterback who doesn't seem like he knows how to, design offense for. So that's not something that, that coach T and I touched on and on bare football after the game as well. So. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, like I said this about Matt Nagy and I, and I think it's, it's applicable here where I said, if, if your head coach was fired tomorrow, would he get a coaching job right after that? And I think maybe Matt Eberflus would not get a head coaching job right after that, but he would be scooped up as a defensive coordinator very, very quickly because right. of how he's how how he has brought this defense around as a play caller and his scheme. Uh, if if he were to hit the open market tomorrow, he'd have if he wanted a defensive coordinator job in five minutes, he'd probably get it. So uh, there, there, that's that I couldn't say I couldn't necessarily say the same about Matt Nagy uh, because of his job as an offensive coach and an offensive play caller. But you can say that about Matt Eberflus as a defensive play caller. So there is. There, there's a big difference there for me. And even in terms of tanking, you don't have to worry about that because Carolina's are taking care of that first. Yeah, they got the yeah, they got the first overall pick. So yeah. you know what? Why not? Why not go for it? Why not go for it? Oh, John, don't get yourself excited. <laughs> yeah. doing Can a, we take uh, a moment? Uh, like we were talking about Eberflus being like weeks ago, like get him the hell out of here. Now we're talking about the idea of him sticking around next year, and we're kind of on board, but we'll see. We're talking about the Bears winning out for God's sakes. Why are we like we're talking about the Bears winning? Out and, it's and getting, damn getting, schedule graphic that, that Aldo puts up, it always gets us into a good mood. It's just like, it oh, does, yeah. It's just like, oh, we do this one and do this one and do this one. Oh, there's a path, there's a path. And then, you know what? Like I always say, we're going to talk about this, and then next week, we're just going to be it's just going to be a massive mess of melancholy where it's just everyone is just like, oh, we, we were so excited for 10 minutes. Uh, so, so guys, um, when is the pregame show from the church on Sunday morning? <laughs> a live stream from uh like, exactly we could do like a, a team <laughs> yeah. prayer yes, <laughs> the and, and the other thing is is guys you know if they went out they win what nine games we all predicted 10-9 victory so our 
early season prediction of 10-9 victories wasn't so off, far off. I wish we wouldn't have burned that tape. Uh, (laughs) I think I had the nine wins. Did I? Or no, I was eight. You had eight, we had nine. So you're, uh-huh. you're, you're right there. Uh, and so maybe it's not going to be the way that we thought, or maybe it's Please just not going to happen. Maybe it's not going to happen at all, but at least it's in play now. At least, at least it's, at least it's in play. It's insane. Saying there's a chance. How did we get, how did we get here? How am I, how am I letting myself, you guys are talking me into this now and I hate this. I, I can't that stand damn it. graphic. Yeah. You guys are really, you're, you're getting me all pumped up. You're getting me all jazz. I'm excited for the game. I'm excited for them to win. I'm excited for them to win out. I'm like, Oh my God, playoffs. And I'm like that guy in on the chalkboard saying they do this and do this and do this and this and this happens and they're gonna get and they're gonna get in. Uh, I I I just got myself into a lather there, so I need I need to calm down. We should, but, let's leave yeah. the show with this segment next week. If we're all wrong, like and they lose to the Browns, let's just like replay this and just like how no no or burn the tape, right? We just want to burn the tape. No, we we you know what? If we're wrong, it never. <laughs> hey, listen, this is 2023. If you're wrong on the internet, you just say you never said it. <laughs> you didn't delete it. It never happened. Never happened. Uh, nope. About? Never happened. No. It wasn't me. It wasn't. <laughs> All right. Let, let's get out of here. Alyssa, I'm going to start with you. What's going on over at Bears Wire? I think you're probably on your 50th article by Wednesday. So uh, what, 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 can we, uh, what can we expect going forward? Oh, yeah, definitely 70th at this point. Um, Yeah, we've got Bears fans covered throughout the week with pregame, in-game, post-game content, along with any possible 2024 offseason news, speculation, draft coverage. Yes, I'm doing like mock drafts and mock draft roundups at this point, but also they're still in the hunt. So, hey, you never know. Um, so we'll be monitoring that as well. So if they happen to beat the Browns, uh, on Sunday, knock on wood, and they're all going to go to church, uh, then stay tuned for some coverage about that and playoff odds. Oh gosh, you guys have just turned me. I, I was so okay with being even killed and being super meta. Whatever will be, will be. Kesara, sara. Like I'm, I'm okay. And now, now I'm just like I'm emotionally <laughs> really into this now. So I, I blame both me. of you. I blame both of you for this. So Danny, I blame myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, that's okay. I blame you too. So. so. <laughs> Danny, uh, Bears fans have pushed off maybe mock drafts for another week, but I'm sure you're not pushing off looking over no, the tape. What's no, going on? We're, Never. We're deep, in the, deep in the tape, and and uh, you know, I was uh, you know last couple of weeks I've been I've been watching the uh, well and, and last couple of weeks I've been watching some quarterbacks play. You know, Michael Penix in Washington. I've been watching you know Bo Nix and uh, some of the other guys, the guys play, and, and and there's some up and downs. But but now I'm I'm diving into the offensive line because we just talked about you know Braxton Jones is these last five four games being you know a, a big you know testing testing point and, and, and spot for in his career. Uh, we'll see where it goes because, you know, there's a couple of big offensive linemen at the top of that draft that the, you know, the Bears could, they could be sitting there, Bears could be staring at him. So that there's a decision that needs to be made where do you take one of these guys and, and fit him on the offensive line? Do you, do you move Braxton Jones, make him a swing tackle? What, what happened? So, so yeah, d- diving into that. And, and then uh, pretty soon, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, senior bowl uh, invitations are going out. Uh, some players I saw already have accepted, so obviously keep an eye on those rosters, see who we're going to be seeing down in, in Mobile, Alabama for, for the Senior Bowl. Um, in my opinion, one of the, the better all-star games, college football all-star games out there. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of things going on regarding the draft. Uh, obviously, we still have a season, four more games left here, but once this uh, regular season is over with, then we'll be off to the draft, and draft on tap will be back back on these airways. Draft season just as fun as the regular season. Whenever you got Danny Shimon on your team and the Bears are going to have two pretty high picks. Uh, in, well, at least one really high pick in, in the first round. We'll see how the rest of the of the season rolls out. So 
before I get way too, more excited and emotionally involved in this, we're going to we're gonna shut this down. But don't forget, right after the game, as soon as the clock hits triple zeros, we go live, bear football, immediate reaction to the game, going over key plays. We also carry uh, Coach Eberflus and Justin Fields' press conference. So as soon as that game's over, get the alert. We go live on YouTube and all the other social media platforms. Uh, we'll get immediate reaction, raw emotion, and it should be an interesting one on Sunday. But that'll do it. For this edition of Buffon 55, the Bears might go to the playoffs. Alyssa Barbieri and Danny Shannon, I'm John Buffon. We'll see you next time, everybody. Love Joe Flacco. Love the Browns. Woo!